As Matt said, my name is Paul. I'm, uh, I'm one of the site pastors here at the Central Site. I lead it alongside Matt and Alice, and it is amazing uh, to have you guys with us today. Just want to extend Matt's welcome, especially if you're new here or if you're exploring faith. We are just so glad that you are here. Um, I'm going to jump straight in. We are in the book of Nehemiah at the moment as a church. We are three weeks in, um, and it has been great. If you have missed the first two weeks, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to them. But I just want to give us uh, a little bit of context, set the scene so that we're all up to speed together. Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament. Uh, It's set about four and a half centuries before Jesus came to live on earth. And it's at a point in Israel's history where uh, they no longer exist as a nation. They were conquered first by the Babylonians, uh, and then the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. And now, under Persian rule, some of the people of Israel have been allowed back to their city, Jerusalem, and they've begun rebuilding it. But whilst they're rebuilding the city, they haven't yet got to uh, rebuild their city walls. Now, city walls um, represented their identity and naturally also their protection and their security. And without them, they were open to attack, but they were also open to ridicule from neighboring cities and nations as well. Nehemiah was uh, an Israelite, but he did not live in Jerusalem. He was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And whilst being a cupbearer, it's a risky job um, because you would potentially have to taste the food and drink of the king to make sure it wasn't poisoned. It was one of the most respected jobs available because the king had to trust the cupbearer implicitly. If you had risen to be the cupbearer to the king, that meant the king trusted you personally. And that then meant that you had great influence. You had great uh, moments of relationship with him where you could really influence what uh, policies and things like that. Uh, and it often uh, resulted in being paid really well. So ultimately, this is they're a risky job. It is a job of great security and great influence. We've heard so far in this series, in the first talk, James said that God burdened Nehemiah and he broke his heart for the city of Jerusalem and what was going on there and called him to go back. And that so often when God calls us, it starts with a real burdening of our hearts. And then last week, Alice talked about how Nehemiah risked everything. He left that job. He left that place of security to go and follow God's call. And that we too are to risk as we follow Jesus and obey his commands on us. And today we are going to be in Nehemiah 2, verses 11. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up or scroll down on your phone. If you, as Matt said, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible today. So please take one from downstairs afterwards. Um, but it will be on the screen behind me as well. Say, with the wind, I'm not going to actually read from the Bible. Say, wind, air conditioning. We're not outdoors. Um, Say, Nehemiah 2, we're starting in verse 11. This is Nehemiah speaking. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts, horses, with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and then the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or to the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. It's a big secret. Then, verse 17, I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. 
Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. Now, as we're looking at this passage today, I want ye to be thinking and dwelling on what it is that maybe the Lord has called ye to. What he's maybe invited ye to partner with him in. We, we just finished a big series on kingdom carriers and that God invites us to partner with him. So what is it that God has invited ye to partner with him in doing? And as we look at this passage, I want to pull out two things for us today. So the first one is this, that Nehemiah does his research before starting his work. So we know that Nehemiah has heard about a problem. We learn that in chapter one. He hears about what's going on in Jerusalem and then God breaks his heart for it. And then when Nehemiah had left the security of the king's court and a well-paid job, he traveled home. We find that before he does anything, he just hangs out for three days without saying anything to anybody about why he is there. We read this in verse 11 and 12, and then he says it again in verse 16. He wants to make it super clear that he has not told anyone what's going on. Now, I find this slightly confusing, because surely Nehemiah has returned home, and we know that some of his family and friends were there. And like, surely they would have been like, hey, nay, you know, because they're cool like that. They use abbreviated names. Like, why have you come home? And for three days, like, this question is going to be coming up. And, I, you know, it doesn't say how he responded, but I reckon it was probably like a classic politician. You know the ones when they get asked a question by the interviewer and then they just answer a different question. So I imagine it like this. You know, his friends would be like, hey, Nate's like, hey, why have you come home? He's like, yeah, man, I have come home. I love home. Home is great. And it's like, yeah, cool. But... But why? Like, why did you leave your great job? And why did you come to the ruin, back to a ruined city? He's like, yeah, I did have a great job. I love my job. I worked with the king. That was pretty cool. Ruined city, you say? Nah, you know what? I kind of like what you've done with the place. Like, it's exposed brick. It's kind of rustic. It's like, looks like it's straight out of Instagram. I, I like it. Do you know what I mean? Three days just on and on. Now, we don't know how he did respond. But what we do know is that Nehemiah waited. And then after three days, he went and he inspected what was really going on. It says through the, verse 13 to verse 15 that he goes around and he's surveying each gate, each wall from different angles to really find out what the problem is. Now, I think that we need to learn from Nehemiah's approach here. Because there'll be those of us in the room who will be, you know, maybe the slightly entrepreneurial of us. We get excited by new things. Uh, maybe we have loads of energy for them. And then when something new is there, we're like, great, yes, maybe God stirred something in us. And we're like, great, we're going after it. And there's loads of energy. We recruit loads of people. We go for it. And then maybe within a month or two, maybe a little bit longer, we haven't seen the traction that we thought we would. Uh, we haven't seen the change that we hoped we would. And, and we suddenly start to get a bit bored and a, a bit disenfranchised with it. And then something else comes on over here, something new. And you're like, oh, great. Boom, I'm going to go over here. And then we begin pursuing this thing. And, you know, I can relate to that. I love new things. I get really excited about them. I get really energized for them. That's why, you know, before I worked for church, I worked a lot in startups, started my own business. I love these new things. And for me, you know, one of the things I had to learn was to see the city wall being built, to see the fruit, not just to plant the tree. And now, look, it's amazing, those people who have that energy and who are passionate about things. But maybe God has come, you've come to church today, and maybe God wants to encourage you and say, look, I love that passion, but I want you to stay 
the course. I want you to hold on to what I've said, and I want you to see the city wall being built. I want you not to jump on from this thing that you've jumped into. There'll be those of us, though, who are in a different place, and maybe actually we're opposites in Nehemiah. So Nehemiah, he was stirred by the Lord, uh, and then he left and he started doing some research into what was going on. And there'll be those of us who maybe at some point in our life, God has stirred something in our souls, and, and we've done nothing about it. Now, maybe this is that you've come to church and you've had an encounter with God where you're like, you know what, I, I, Matt was talking about it after worship, that sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes on us, it is a physical thing and we really feel it. And you're like, yeah, you know what, that felt like the Lord. My, my soul felt burdened for something. And then you leave that moment, you go about your day, and then the next day you start to reflect. And you're like, well, was that really God? Or was that the chili burrito that I ate before I went to church? Not you guys in the morning. That would be really weird. Um, but th- well, this actually happened. To- I had a moment like this. So last week, uh, my wife Claire and I, well, Claire's amazing. Um, we were away uh, back in Northern Ireland, her home country. We were at a conference for Causeway Coast Vineyard. And on the first night, we went to dinner with some friends. Uh, and I had this kind of like big chili burrito style thing. And it was really good. It was a lot of food. I obviously had fries on the side as well because we were on holiday and carbs upon carbs. Uh, and so it was so good. And um, we then got to worship. And I don't know, maybe like the second song in, I was like, oh. And I was leaning over. I had my hands on the chair in front of me. I was breathing slightly heavily. I think I was maybe even sweating a little bit. And you know what? From the outside, it probably looked like I was having a moment with the Lord. <laughs> I was not. It, I was just so full, it was painful to stand up. <laughs> And you know what, so, so some of us will have had those moments, hopefully not those burrito moments, but those moments where God has stirred something in us, and it was him moving. But then as time has gone by, we've looked back and gone, oh, I, I don't know if that was really him. We've let it lie dormant. We don't do anything about it. And we need to learn from Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah, it would have been really easy for Nehemiah to hear the report that he hears in chapter one, to be stirred by God and be like, man, that is so sad. And then go, oh, you know what, but actually, I've got a great life here, and I've got influence with the king. I could maybe help from here. And then, you know, as life goes by and security and comfort just begin to kind of bring him in, he's like, oh, yeah, I've forgotten about it, and does nothing with it. Maybe we need to have a moment where we come before the Lord and we say, you know what, God, you did stir something in me. And I have let it lie dormant, and I repent of that. And I want to take a step, and I want to find out what is the role that you have me, you have for me in this situation. But then there will also be those of us here, and I'm talking about what we feel called to and what we feel burdened by, and you'll be like, well, nothing. I haven't had that big encounter. And you know what? The first thing I'd say to you, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, then you have a call on your life. Jesus makes it super clear uh, in Scripture. In Matthew 22, he's asked, um, what, are the greatest commandment? what is the greatest commandment? And he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then in a few chapters later in Matthew 28, he goes um, and gives the great commission where he says to his disciples, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a call on our life to love God, love others, and make disciples. And when you read scripture, it's quite clear how we're to do that. You know, if you just look at the life of Jesus, the starting point is just to be like him to love the outsiders, to welcome them in, to pray for the sick, to fight injustice. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was like, you know what? I don't need a big encounter to, uh, to break my heart about climate poverty. 
as a follower of Jesus, you know, I know that I have to do something about climate change, which means that I have to live in a green and sustainable way. Like, I can't read scripture, hear about God's heart for the poor and the oppressed and, how, and his love for creation and how we should care for it and be like, yeah, it doesn't matter how I live. I don't need a profound encounter to do that. And so my encouragement is if you're here and you're like, well, I haven't had one, we have a call on our life. Scripture is clear. Let's just begin there and go for it. But the second thing I'd say, though that is true, is if you haven't had those moments, ask the Lord for them. Because there is so much need out there. There are so many things that we could get involved with. And the reality is we can't do everything. And so what is it that the Lord is inviting you to partner with him in doing? Ask him to break, his, break your heart for what breaks his. And then, if you feel like he begins to stir something in you, be like Nehemiah and start to research it. Start to find out what your role could be. Now, our vision as a church is audacious. It is to restore the city and to renew the nation. And to restore the city, we have to be like Nehemiah and we have to find out about it. Our city is not like Jerusalem in the way that it does not have broken walls but it is broken. Let me just give you a bit of an insight. So there is a lonely epide- loneliness epidemic sweeping our country. So much so that last year, Theresa May, I think it was in January last year, appointed the UK's first ever um, minister for loneliness in response to it. I met with Kate's councillors back in late September, October time last year and was talking to them about what was going on in the, in the city and how we could serve them as a church. And they said their primary concern was loneliness, the loneliness of the people in our city. That was their number one thing. Uh, Around that time as well, the BBC released a study, many of you will have read it, of 55,000 people that found that 40% of people between 16 and 24 felt either lonely or very lonely all of the time, more than any other age range. Almost half of young people. And though that figure does get lower um, for older people, it's still just shy of one-third of people over 75. That is a staggering amount of people that feel lonely. That means that some of us in the room right now are going to be people who feel lonely. That people in our family, our friends, our workplaces, our neighbours, that we meet in, the, in Tesco, people will be feeling lonely. What about mental health? Year on year, there has been a rise of mental ill health issues across our nation, so much so that Professor Dame Sue Bailey, who uh, was the former president of the Royal College of Psychiatrists, said this, the UK should brace itself for a tsunami of adults with mental health problems unless urgent action is taken to help today's young people. Anxiety, just one area of mental health. In, pe- in people in full-time employment, this isn't part-time this employment, this isn't even unemployment. Full-time employment in the UK has risen by over 30% in the last four years. What about living conditions? In Wales, a quarter of people live in poverty. That's just people there. If you look at children, it gets even worse. A third of children live in poverty in Wales. The BBC, um, just at the start of March, said that um, they released a bunch of statistics on uh, homelessness, and they said that in 2017 and 2018, over 2,800 people were helped by the Wallaches Rough Sleeper Sleeper Intervention Team in South Wales. Over 2,800 people helped by that team in South Wales. This is our doorstep, guys. Our city doesn't have broken walls, but it is broken. 
Our city is broken and it needs people to partner with God to rebuild it. So let's be like Nehemiah. Let's find out what is going on in our city. Behind all of those stats are people. So let's find out what's going on in their lives. Let's get to know people. Look, and when we're finding out about these issues and we're asking God what our role might be, it could be that we're like Nehemiah and that God invites us to do something drastic, to leave our job, to move house, home, maybe even move city, to pursue a new career. That might be it. And you might be here today and that might be what God is calling you to. But it might be that we are, we are being called to be like the wall builders that we will read about in, uh, in the coming chapters. The people who their job is just to build with a few bricks, to lay them down, to lay them down. They're like, you know, this is my city. I've lived here. I'm a green gracer. I'm a burrito salesman. My job, I'm just I'm going to join in and I'm going to build some bricks because our city wall needs to be rebuilt. So maybe God isn't calling you to this drastic change, but he is calling you to get involved. You know, let's take the loneliness epidemic. It is amazing that we now have a loneliness minister. That is important. And that means, you know what, we 100% need Jesus followers who are going into politics and who can influence policy at the highest level. But the loneliness epidemic also means that we need a whole bunch of Jesus followers who are just going to be people's friends. Who are going to invite their colleagues around for dinner, who are going to go to the pub and be like, hey, why don't you come with us? He will just extend a smile and an invitation. They'll be like, hey, we're going to go watch the game. Come around. Whatever it is. We need people who will devise the plans for the city walls. And we need the people who will actually build them. What role is God inviting you into? What is he stirring in you? And within that, what is he asking you to do? So the second thing I want to talk about, and this will be just a little bit briefer as well, don't worry. Nehemiah holds firm to God's call in the face of an overwhelming situation. You know, when Nehemiah is surveying the city walls, this isn't a situation of a few missing bricks here and a missing fence panel there. This would have been utter decimation. You know, we've all seen the movies. I was, when I was thinking about it, I was reminded of Saving Private Ryan, you know, that movie, Tom Hanks movie, and they're going through, they're going through the French towns and villages, and the buildings have just been reduced to rubble. Now, we don't know what the city looked like there, but we can imagine what a besieged city would look like, one that has been conquered twice at this point. And I can imagine that Nehemiah was feeling pretty overwhelmed. He doesn't tell us how he was feeling, but surely at some point, he would have been feeling overwhelmed. Because on one side, the task at hand is outrageously difficult. You know, rebuilding a war zone, that's a hard task. On the other hand, he is drastically underqualified. I mean, he's a cupbearer. So what I'm imagining when I think about Nehemiah is a slightly overweight man wearing nice clothes with very soft hands, the kind of guy that would probably cleanse stone and moisturize in 2019. You know, you know those guys. Haven't done a lot of manual labor. And he's here, and he's looking at broken walls at a war zone and going, God, you've asked me to deal with this. Are you sure you've got the right guy? But he knows that God has called him to it, and so he stands firm, and he does what God has told him to. And he's straight after he surveys the extent of the damage, amidst probably a whole heap of self-doubt looking at himself, and in the face of an insurmountable challenge, We read in verse 17 that Nehemiah says to them, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. But come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. In the face of it, he still holds true to what God has said. Even when he sees how bleak the outlook is, and even though he doesn't know what he's doing, he doesn't lose hope. 
And how does he not lose hope? We find out in the next verse, in verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me. Nehemiah knew who had called him and to what he was called. And that's why he doesn't lose hope. Because he's like, you know what, this does look crazy. But I'm going to tell you about this story, that how God broke my heart, how he's called me, how he's given me favor. And he also says about the king, what the king has said to him, how he's given me favor with the king to be here. So let's go for it. It's easy to feel overwhelmed by what God is calling us to. Whether it's that we feel like it's too big a task to be accomplished, or whether we feel like we are drastically underqualified or underprepared. Maybe it's that we're here and we feel like we've just got too much shame, that we're too broken, we're too messed up, that God just couldn't use us. Maybe it's that we're like, well, we just don't have the money. That is it's an amazing dream, but we could not afford that. We don't have the resources, we don't have the people. Whatever it is, but we're looking at ourselves. If we have a God who died on the cross... Raise again three days later, defeated death, the devil and sin, then whatever he has called you to is not too big a problem for him. And what we need to do is we need to take our eyes off of ourselves and our own inadequacies and look to the one who has called us and remind ourselves of what he has called us to and not lose hope. And so today, if that's you, if you've come in and you're feeling overwhelmed, maybe it's a moment to recommit to the Lord, to trust him. To say, Lord, I am sorry. I repent. I have been focusing all on my own inadequacy and not on you. You're the God of all creation. If you called me, I'm probably going to be okay. You're probably going to resource it. I'm not doing it anyway. I'm partnering with you. So, what do you feel like God is calling you to? What is it? What? excites you what is stirred in you what what are the things that you're interested in what are you passionate about what role is God calling you to is it something drastic are you here today and you're wrestling with Lord do I, do I need to move city do I need to move country is that it or or are you here and you're just like you know what I'm, I'm stirred to do something small I just want to invite my colleague out for lunch this week I'm just going to do it I'll just say hey I'm going to go grab some lunch you want to join just going to extend an invite to someone who might be lonely What is God staring in you? Why don't we stand?